Hey, it's Pastor Brian here, and we just finished up the 2021 edition of our Leadership One Day training event. And at the event, we had a lot of different breakout sessions from a number of our leaders, and there was such great content that was shared that uh, I wanted to sit down with a bunch of our leaders and talk about what they talked about so that others could hear. So in this conversation, I'm talking with John Holmes, who is our Director of Soul Care. John is a therapist. He has a background in pastoral ministry, and he led a terrific break out on repairing broken relationships. And I learned a lot from the conversation I had with him. I hope that you enjoy it. So I'm here with John Holmes, the director of Soul Care Bridgeways Clinical Counseling Center. And John, at your breakout session, you were talking all about repairing broken relationships. Obviously, during this last year, we have seen all sorts of different kind of relational fracturing going on. Can you give us some insight? What about this last year made it so volatile and difficult in terms of just interpersonal relationships? Sure. So, you know, COVID in itself is a pandemic, but unfortunately there is a uh, another pandemic connected to that, and that uh, is the pandemic of relational uh, fracturing yeah. that has occurred that is equally as destructive. Um, and have, have left the greater part of our culture just absolutely disoriented, um, not just within the church, but just within society as a whole. And there are no experts during this time. Yeah, I mean, we are in uncharted waters as we move through this uh, pandemic and then moving into the post-pandemic life of what's that going to look like and how how are we going to rebuild bridges Yeah, that uh, and we have to own the fact that Hey, I picked up a jackhammer on several occasions and <laughs> lost track of what was going on, and I did some damage. Yeah, yeah. To, to what extent do you think the social isolation element of all of this? I mean, certainly we could point to all sorts of things in society that were kind of divisive on their own, the the election, some of the racial injustice stuff. Sure. Just there, there was plenty of stuff that I think even, even in a perfect world would have caused no small amount of division. Sure. From your perspective, the social isolation component, how does that contribute? Well, it's it's a unique, you know, we talk about social isolation. Um, it's so different than any time in past in history, because if we were socially isolated, that meant we were cut off from many levels of influence. Yeah. Um, where through this, what happened was it actually intensified influences. So, you know, while we're experienced... Um, isolation, we're also being heavily influenced by social media, by um, general media resources, news resources, and we lost really the discussion of how does that affect us? Hmm. You know, when we're sucking down eight hours of media influence a day, you know, in the midst of not having normal relational connections yeah. on it. Well, how does that affect us as a human? Yeah. How does it affect us as a, as a believer? Um, yeah. It would seem to me that if we're removing kind of casual conversation, interpersonal connection and all of that, and then, like you said, sort of filling that gap with more media content, it's almost like we're taking away practices that can keep us more grounded and putting in their place practices that in general tend to kind of inflame us a little bit. Yeah, more. Is, that's, that, is that an accurate way to put it? That's a great way to put it. So, you know, think of it this way. Um, unknowingly and unintentionally, 
uh, we have become pundits. Hmm. No different than who we see on, you know, Fox News, CNN, kind of the yeah. the the voices that have opinions. Um, yeah. And you know, without realizing it, those get married to our faith and our 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 worldview. Yeah. And then we're out there, basically highly invested in a, in our opinion and our position. Yeah. And not knowingly or intentionally getting so concrete in them that we're willing to hold fast in those positions, even to the detriment of the relationships around us. Yeah. So, so you say that we, we become so committed to these positions, these opinions, whatever the case may be. And certainly there are ample voices in sure. social media yeah. and media that encourage that yeah. sort of behavior, right? How can, and, and I want to talk about, okay, the repairing relationships element here, but before I get there, before we get there, how can I start to tell if I am being unduly influenced by these types of voices? How can I tell if I'm at that place where all of a sudden I'm becoming so committed to my opinions, opinions that, as you say, I, I have probably not done the work to really fully form. If I've become so committed to those things that it's starting to negatively affect my relationships, how can I start to notice that in myself? I, so when we think about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is very much so equipping us with a view of life, a view of our relationship with the Trinity, and a view of our relationship within creation and with others, uh, other people. And the view he's giving us is is flexibility. Yeah is, you know, he really goes after the rigid, the, the religious religiosity and really starts dismantling that. So when, when I, from a personal perspective, when I find myself getting inwardly rigid, hmm. like absolute, like my position's this, um, that's where it's time to take note and go, okay, John, there's something, you over, you're overly committed to probably something that Jesus wasn't overly committed to. Hmm. And in doing that, I need to be aware of um, the bigger project. And that project is, um, and I, I'm a big believer in this, one of my greater life projects is to continually put my ego into an ever-increasing state of atrophied, hmm. where it's losing influence. Yeah over my daily life. So COVID for me has been not about what has been stripped away, but it's been a training ground of how is my ego trying to destroy things Wow! in the midst of this unpredictable season? Um, because I know over the course of the, you know, the past 16 months um, that there, well, actually 14 months, that there has been times where I've lost sight of that. Hmm. And I've walked away from situations of going, that wasn't really me. Hmm. I lost sight of what was important, and that person walked away less whole yeah, wow. than when they, when they began the conversation with me. Huh. And I had to own that and you know, go back and you know, make a genuine repair attempt. Yeah. Well, I love that idea of ego in a state of atrophy, right? Yeah. And, that's, and that's hard to do. And I, I think that's it's commendable, certainly, to even just have the self-awareness to realize, okay, when my ego takes control or when I'm doing things consciously or subconsciously to feed my ego, that, that can create some problems. I, I want to I wanna go back to something you said a minute ago because 
I think it was really brilliant, but I'm anticipating an objection to what you said. So you talk yeah. about this idea of being rigid. And and I think that's a beautiful way to describe kind of the problem of being sort of overcommitted to our our opinions. Yes. And and certainly the the way that that can cause us to be very harsh or rude with others. Now, so I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah. I think the the pushback to that could be, well, wait a second. Aren't we supposed to really be committed to the truth? And aren't we supposed to care about what's true? Are you telling us that we should be wishy-washy in our convictions or just sort of be accommodating to whatever? What would you say to somebody who would maybe push back with, with that kind of critique of what you've just said? I'd probably get myself in trouble with them, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'd probably walk away from it with a, with a, hopefully, an agreement that maybe we're going to just agree to disagree. Yeah. But, you know... You know, historically, we got to be honest that we are a culture that's heavily influenced by um, Aristotelian and Platonic Greek philosophy. So yeah. truth is very abstract. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had so, you know, over the years of being a therapist, I've had multiple occasions where, you know, within like a, a marriage counseling session, where one of the per the people's one of the individuals in the marriage is presenting their position and they're 100% right. Mm -hmm. They're right in theory and in fact, but they're 100% wrong because they're destroying their marriage hmm. Yeah. in the midst of it. Yeah. And sometimes the thing of being right about is so insignificant. It's like, holy moly, are you really, you know, are you aware of how much a, a divorce cost <laughs> and you know it uh, not even if it goes to a full divorce but there's a lot of people married that in their absolute commitment to being right they have lost their spouse's heart yeah wow wow you know that reminds me of i read an interesting article maybe in christianity today i don't recall exactly but the the headline was something to the effect of cruelty is apostasy, huh. and which was a pr pretty profound statement, right? Yeah. And the, the whole article yeah. was about this idea that in defense of the truth, quote unquote, yes. our perspective on the truth oftentimes, people have become very mean and nasty. And it's almost like anything is justifiable if it's as long as it's in the service of your ideas or, right. or other ideas are so wrong that it's okay, even as a Christian, it's okay to be a jerk, to be mean, to slander. Where does that, and uh, you live in the real world, so do yeah. I, so, so surely you've seen this type of behavior. Where does that come from? Why is it that even as, as Christians, and I, I mean, some of the worst yeah. behaved people on the internet are Christians, right? Yeah. What, where does that come from, this idea that as long as I'm right, whether I'm a social media personality or I'm a married person sitting on your couch because my wife and I can't get along, that idea that I'm right, so it's okay for me to engage in this destructive behavior. Like, can you give us any insight into why we as humans tend to act like that? Yeah, it's ego. I mean, it, it, the life is, I mean, this, the spiritual life is about addressing this thing called the ego. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by the ego is we're walking on a path and we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut, cut my own path. Yeah, And when Jesus says, you know, you, you come before me and you say, Lord, Lord, look what we've done. You know, we did this and blah, 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 blah. the Lord uh, replies like, hey, you know, be, go away, basically. Yeah. 
we, we, you know, what's he really saying? Is he saying that I don't recognize you as a person or I don't recognize you as a practitioner? Hmm. And, you know, that gives a whole, you know, people, oh, what about grace? I'm like, I, I am wholly committed to grace. Mm-hmm. But maybe if we're not interested in practicing, maybe that's a sign that we really haven't grasped grace. Hmm. Um, the, the treasure uh, that the man found, um, you know, uh, in the field and says, hey, I'm going to bury this thing. I'm going to come back and I'm going to buy this plot of land because I know what's, what it is yeah. and uh, what it provides. I, I venture to say that quite possibly the, the treasure is the way. Hmm. You know, yeah. um, it's the way of uh, being Christ in creation. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's the way of humility. Yeah. yeah, I heard a, a wonderful saying that we're to be like water because water seeks out the low places, but in the process of getting to the low, low places, it transforms and feeds the lands it crosses. Wow. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's really good. Well, and that's obviously such a different perspective than kind of this scorched earth in the name of sharing my opinions. Right? Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. So let's... Let's get get practical here, and mm-hmm. we can. And you know, in your session, you you did you talked a lot about some principles from the Sermon on the Mount. I think you were sitting here. So many of us have experienced at least low level relational yeah. fracturing, or at least some relational tension. And and certainly, you know, unfortunately, there have been any number of relationships that have been lost. I listened to a sermon recently from a preacher I listened to, and he was talking about kind of being a community of peace in the, in a yeah. world of, of political polarization. And he, he opened the sermon with the question, who have you lost this year? And not about death. Yeah. Who have you lost because of Great po- question. Po- politics, yeah, which yeah. I thought was very profound. I think on some level, well, whether it's politics or something else, again, we've experienced all sorts of relational challenge. Yeah. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Right. So can you start to talk to us, those of us who are sitting here going, all right, I've got some relational wounds that need tending and I'm not really sure where to start. I've got, like I said, I, like, or like you said, I picked up the jackhammer. How do I start to rebuild the bridge? Yeah. Can, let's just process some principles there that we can start to apply. Where, where, where do we begin when it comes to repairing some, some broken relationships? We start with humility. Because hmm. um, humility um, is the roundup to spray on the ego. Hmm. That's I good. mean, it just, it starts to just kill the root system. Yeah. And that's what we're after. Yeah. Um, humility. I, for me, I begin with the awareness, um, the awareness that number one, I'm not so important to this other person's life that they woke up on a certain day and said, I'm really going to get underneath John's skin. <laughs> you know, I'm really, I'm that, I, I, in very few instances, probably pop enough on someone's radar where they intentionally want to create chaos in my life. Yeah. It's just in the free flow of life and things that yeah. we get wrapped up in, the conflict arises. So by taking the intentionality out of it, hmm. I can now be compassionate and yeah, be wow. able to like realize that they have gone through something themselves. Mm-hmm. that whatever happened between us triggered them. Hmm. And um, 
you know, you see those like uh, on YouTube, you see those, you know, thousand dollar, I mean, thousand domino mazes set up where, yeah, you know, that one domino starts to fall and it's for like 15 minutes, just thousands and thousands of dominoes start falling. Yeah. Um, and, uh, my thought is maybe the way of Jesus is when it comes to chaos and in destruction of relationships, I'm going to, I'm going to take the wise words of Jesus as presented, um, in the sermon on the Mount and say, what happens if I allow myself to be the domino that gets removed? Hmm. You know, that this, this, this chain reaction of intensity of brokenness and of relational destruction, I'm going to say, I'm not participating. Hmm. You know, in fact, yeah. maybe in in doing that, um, I, I'm going to be used to cut off a whole series of just destructive things yeah. that would come from if I, if I if I say, hey, I'm going to saddle up and you know I'm going to get nasty in this. I'm going to say no. You know, it's just it's just it it this is an opportunity to train. Yeah in doing things a different way. Yeah. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, the ego is a huge part of, of our role in the relational dysfunction around us. Yes. And I like your illustration of, of that domino effect. And, and if I'm understanding kind of what you're trying to get after here, it's, it's if we place, when it comes to the relational brokenness we see around us, if we place the emphasis on, okay, where am I in this process and how can I remove myself as a provoking agent, yes. for lack of a better term, if I'm able to do that and focus on that? Because that's really – I can't control you, John, but I can control me. Absolutely. So if we're having an issue, I can, I can get mad at you all day long, but at the end of the day, probably nothing's going to change until I own my part, right? That's right, yeah. So, so that leads me to, then to another question. I think a lot of us just struggle to get there. Just oh. to get into that headspace of, you know what, I'm mad and I just want to go on the attack and they've hurt me and I can't get to a place where I'm just worried about myself. Uh, I realize getting there is a very long process and I don't expect right. that, a, that yeah. a two minute answer is going to, to solve this for us. But you talk about getting rid of the ego and, and trying to kind of, you know, humility and compassion. Once again, practically speaking, how do, how do we get there? How do we get to the point where I can take my focus off of, okay, I'm mad at you for what you've done and instead get into that headspace of how can I remove myself as a provoking agent here? That's a, that's a great question. Um, number one of the main things we have to realize the way of the ego, the way of the ego, the default is to create whatever frame possible that sees the ego or the self as a victim. Hmm. So I tried to the best of my ability to step out of that space. I live in a culture that has a high value to being a victim. Yeah. You know, I, it, it just, because, um, Richard Rohr, um, the Franciscan father, um, speaks about, and it's kind of, really interesting hearing him because he's a deeply humble and compassionate man, but he talks about how powerful the victim role is. Hmm. Because if you're a victim, you don't have to listen. Wow. 
Yeah. You know, and that's, and you know, I'm in a field where, you know, I'm big on, you know, looking at how do we heal trauma and all that. But I've realized over the years, there's people that really have caught me off guard that have gone through heinous, just abuses and just tragedies in their life. And what I've noticed about them and as an, as an observer with them and being inspired deeply by them is they will have gone through these just horrific instances or seasons in their life and they've been victims in it, but they don't see themselves as victims in their identity. Hmm. Wow. That's a really helpful kind of delineation there. Yeah. Say more about that. So the lesson I had to learn was I, I got in a car accident in 2013 um, and acquired a, a brain injury out of it. And my whole sense of what was normal and productive and meaningful in life was upended. And unfortunately in that, I was, I was accruing huge medical bills and we had to basically, because the other party was not willing to pay, we had to go to court and you know file a lawsuit and all that fun stuff that I, if you can at all avoid doing that, please do it. Um, but we, I had pretty significant medical bills out of it. But um, after about three years of playing ping pong um, with, with the whole legal system, I just came to the conclusion of there's no dollar amount that can be placed on how this thing of being seen as a victim Hmm. that my my attorneys obviously are wanting me to be a victim, but being primed and probed continually to see myself as a victim, how that how destructive that was in my life, how yeah, it was affecting wow. my marriage, my my relationship with my kids, um, yeah. and really having to come to terms. Look, if I can get my medical bills covered, I'm good to go. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll trust in the Lord with the rest of it. Yeah. Um. So I had I I have over the years had to come to terms with how if people remain, how, how, how stagnating it is to be stuck in that, that victim space. And I think as therapists, and at least you know, my, my world is creating the conversations and opportunities for people to grieve and to mourn how they have been hurt yeah. and been a victim of a situation, but also discover the resilience yeah. to say that is not who I am though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, what, what I love about that is it, it, it strikes to me a beautiful balance between, I think someone could totally mis- misunderstand what you've just said and said, oh, well, wait, you're trying to say that what happened to me wasn't bad. It's like, no, no, like that's actually not true at all. We are acknowledging in this situation, you were a victim of an accident, of abuse, of whatever the case yeah. may be. But stopping, stopping that from, like you said, becoming your identity is is just huge and to say that we can say okay you were a victim of this awful thing that's reality that's reality and and there is significant work and healing to be be done there we don't want to shortcut that but i think what you just said yeah absolutely what you just said about how even being primed to just see yourself as a victim and man what you said was so powerful when i'm a victim i don't have to listen and boy that's just the beginning of all sorts of toxic behavior. Yeah, it unpacks so many yeah. things. And it's so, it's as a therapist, it's hard when we're sitting with someone who is heartbroken and they've been just mistreated. There's no question about it. Yeah. But in that place of being so hurt, it, it becomes 
a way of doing life that really is makes it difficult yeah to have healthy connections because yeah. they've been so hurt and that that space is not getting it's like a cycle that just keeps you know yeah. reverting back on itself yeah well and i think that there is there is application here for the less traumatic type situations and just sort of the relational brokenness we're talking about where again if i if you and i aren't getting along I can see myself not just as a victim of whatever perceived slights, real or perceived slights have taken place, that there's actually something empowering to say, okay, I had a part to play in the dysfunction, therefore I can play a part in the healing, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, very much. So, okay, last last thing I want to talk about, um, so appreciate your time and and your insights on all of this stuff. I think a lot of people are dealing with, okay, what, what do I do with the relative, the friend, whomever? who just seems stuck on a certain issue. Maybe it's politics, maybe right. it's vaccines, whatever. Just there, there, I think there are certain types of personalities who need to turn every conversation, the direction of kind of these, these divisive type issues. W- what do you say to the person who's, you know, my mom, my aunt, my next door neighbor, somebody who I, I can't avoid and who on some right. level I'm invested in the relationship, but we really have trouble getting past these things, how, how can I start to repair the hurt that's happened there and maybe create some appropriate boundaries uh, in those types of relationships? Uh, I think the easiest way is just to be a listener. Hmm. Um, you know, you don't have to agree with someone's position just to listen. Yeah. And typically when we're listening uh, in our culture, we're trained to have a position that we want to fire back. Yeah. And we may not agree with their position, but we can also be listening in such a way that we can garner something to give back to them that's a value, hmm. you know? Because a lot of times underneath the position is some compassionate component yeah. um, that, that's legitimate. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the political part is just this shell, hmm. you know, but... If we can say back to someone, you know, I really deeply value that you want, you desire to see people, you know, live in a state of self-resiliency where they experience themselves as being able to, um, you know, kind of flourish. Yeah. Um, You know, that's something to value because that's, you know, often the case where one side would really love to see that in people. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's good. That's a good place to, you're right. Gosh, we're so trained to have a response or be ready to argue. And yeah, but I I love that, the idea of just kind of listening and hey, what, what can be affirmed here? What, where are their shared values present, even in the midst of surface level disagreement? Um, And you're right, man, the shell. (laughs) It often is just a shell. Listening has a way of uh, just I don't know. It just it just stops things. Yeah. Because what it does when we listen, what we're doing is we're, without words, we're saying to someone that you have value. Yeah. And really behind a lot of the arguments people get into is they just want another human being to say, I value you. Wow. Yeah. Boy, and yeah, that level of just to be able to drop that sense of compassion towards, yeah. man, that's that's good. John, every time I talk to you, I just, I learn a lot. So well, thanks, man, Brian. sure appreciate you. Being here, man. Sure appreciate you sharing your insights. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, man, so much here for us to, to take and apply. So thanks for being part of Leadership One Day. Thanks for listening to our conversation. We hope it was helpful and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.